Welcome to TradFi to DeFi, a community-driven podcast about crypto and decentralized finance. This is Tyler Sherwin, and I'm joined by John Tejan. Together, our goal is to teach, encourage, and inspire you to seize opportunities in this emerging world of DeFi. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Today is February 17, 2023, and today is Friday. We're doing our community call. I hope everyone is doing really well today. Uh, we've all been breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief in the market somewhat recently. Isn't that right, John? I know you were telling us in the Telegram chat uh, some optimism is on its way, maybe. We have a lot of fun <laughs> topics to discuss today. What are, you, what are your general thoughts on our current situation? Yeah, I, I sometimes I get ahead of myself. You know, I really saw uh, Bitcoin shoot up to, to 25, like in no time, you know, and I'm like, and then I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the traditional markets and it's down, the NASDAQ was down. I'm like, that's just really, that, that hasn't happened in a long, long time. Because I, I, that's one of the things I look at almost every day in the market, what the directionality of the markets, and they're usually fairly well in tandem with with an ASDAQ. Uh, and uh, so I'm like, well, maybe we have the decoupling event. And almost as soon as I put that out of my mouth, Bitcoin pulled back just as fast as it went back up. So uh, I, so I don't, I don't know if it is, but I certainly feel that there's a there's a change in the in the market that it seems a little bit out of sync with the equity markets. And and I'd like to, you know, I kind of like to kick it off with that and see. Uh, what everybody else says, especially Dustin, since he's got his uh, his ear to the ground on both markets as well, and and see see what he thinks is uh, the state of the market uh, uh, as as we sit here on Friday afternoon. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think the biggest thing I've been really thinking about is this uh, all the stablecoin stuff that's been coming out, and especially with Gensler coming out saying i heard so there's two two different stories about gensler that i've been trying to find if you guys can if you guys have seen it i would love to verify this first one um one was that um well the one that i don't need help verifying i, I just read earlier is about how he's uh putting forth the the custodian a uh, new custodian rules for crypto which i think would be positive um again you know we think we've all talked about regulation clarity regulatory clarity being important um and you know him just stipulating that you know places like kraken and celsius etc cetera, etc cetera, and, and of course ftx have to uh custody clients uh funds in separate accounts right it's like they do that in every other asset class and him including that in others seems like a positive note um i haven't actually read his full um letter about it but as far as it, as far as I read about that one piece, it, it seems positive. Um, the other one was that he was. Um, let's see if I can put this the correct way, but it was essentially an attack on crypto. Uh, had this conversation on Wednesday midday. Um, life, me, I can't remember specifically what was said, but regardless of that, I mean, just looking at the markets, uh, slowly getting a, a, a pop. I mean, I think. Mostly, um, I, I, I think I think it's positive. I think a lot of the weekends have been shook, shooken out or shaken out rather. But the, the thing that's like the biggest question I have is about around CBDCs and and what what are, what will be the what will these regulatory bodies do um, in order to essentially pave the road for CBDC. And, and and I think it could be positive and plus negative. You know, um, one thing is that, you know, with all these stable coin, uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, with Paxos and everyone and, and, and all the letters been written, um, written to them, essentially, you know, about, you know, BUSD is a now security, I guess, you know, and it's things like that where a lot of these stable coins don't, a lot of these issuance don't make sense um, from these regulatory bodies. And I'm trying to make sense of it from an incentive-based uh, sort of framework. You know, why are they doing this? And, and essentially, 
is it a reaction or is there a, a larger play right um and and so it's and thanks for writing that that note um and so i mean it, it's things like that where it is that i, I think so we whether that's good or bad i'm not i'm not entirely certain uh, i guess it's one of those things just like uh just like a lot of those parables say, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see if it's positive or negative. Well, we'll see exactly what, what they're doing. But I think as of right now, I mean, the Bitcoin going, going uh, briefly above 25K, so it'll pop in Ethereum. Um, the question is, what will be these next, uh, the next coins, essentially, that will, that will be uh, the backbone of the next plays is, is really what, what I'm thinking about. So, Dustin, I'm curious. You mentioned the attack on crypto. I wonder if you're referring to this Nick Carter article about Migration Choke Point 2.0. This was uh, much discussed last week, and this is probably what I would consider to be some of the most the the most comprehensive evidence of mm -hmm. Gensler's attitude towards crypto as like an attack against it. So this might have been what you're referring to. Um, have, have you heard of Operation Choke Point 1.0, like the first one? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember this, and I remember reading about this last week too. Um, of what you know, what Biden and them are, are, are what they're kind of coming out and saying. It, it, it's it is it's kind of strange. Um, in the sense of, I think oh, I'm not sure if you read that book, but Surfer uh, John, I think, is the his his nom de plume in, in this uh, in this circle was told us to read that one book about AT and T and regulation. Yeah, yeah, and and really, really makes me think a lot about yeah. a lot about this. I'm like, you know, what exactly is happening right now? Um, and and will these are they trying to you know pave the way for and make greener fields for these financial incumbents like banks? You know, uh, or are they actually trying to help protect people? And I have a lot of questions, you know, and it's it's hard to. What what do you guys think? Well, I, I agree with your point earlier that the custodian rule is good for the industry. I'll, I'll, I'll start there. So the custodian rule is something I've been watching closely because it was part of my thesis for even joining the crypto industry in the first place, which is uh, if we want to reach some levels of adoption where we know that your grandma and grandpa can get involved in crypto, you're going to need qualified custodians to hold the crypto. And that word qualified custodian is thrown around a lot. And I really do actually appreciate Based on my quick reading of what Gensler came out with on the custodian rule, I, I think it's very good for the industry. It's like very basic stuff that like your trading platform should not be commingling your custody assets. And, and custody is thrown around as this descriptor of holding crypto on behalf of somebody else. But in finance, there's a very, very clear definition of a qualified custodian. And it's almost always a trust or a bank entity. It's not a money transmitter. And so there's one thing that I think Gensler did that was that's good for the industry, which is like, you can't call yourself a qualified custodian uh, just because you hold crypto for somebody. And although you might call yourself a custodian, that's fine, but you're not a qualified custodian. And a qualified, qualified custodian is unique in that it offers better statutory protections for their customers, where your funds are held in a segregated account with your name on it. And the entity that's holding that crypto or asset is holding it for your benefit. So broker dealers are good examples of this. Trusts are great examples of this. And in the crypto industry, there's really like only a handful of what I would consider to be like gold star uh, custodians who are protecting customers with better statutory protections as qualified custodians. And you can call them, count them on like one hand. So there's a lot of examples. So like Fortress Trust is one of them. Uh, uh, Protigo Bank and Trust, they're, they're a newer startup. Custodia, although they're having a ton of problems trying to get their charter up and running um there's a few others uh oh prime trust like these are trust companies oh anchorage as well these are banks or trust companies that have better protections for their customers and so when gensler's custodian rule comes out it's really good because it kind of defines this space a lot better there's been a lot of ambiguity on like what defines a qualified custodian and i think based on the tweet he sent out in the, the video that he made i watched i think it was something like 2009 was the last time that this was properly defined so it's been over 10 years where we have not really had an update on what a qualified custodian is. And so this does seem like meaningful legislation in the right direction, or excuse me, proposal in the right direction. I know that there's an open comment period, so that's something we should definitely look into. 
But the other part to your second part of your comments, I, I, I tend to kind of agree with you, like this BUSD stuff. Um, I, I'm not sure if this is like an approach to mitigate Binance's influence, perhaps. Uh, I think based on our interpretation of what they said about the Binance USD uh, token being a security was something along the lines of it being issued on Ethereum, but then Binance takes it and holds it in a Ethereum wallet and then mints it on Binance chain, which of course is less of a decentralized chain. So maybe you can make the argument that, that it is more of a security that way. But I think we all agree that, you know, the four prongs of the Howey test, it clearly does not satisfy the one in which, you know, you're, there's an expectation of profit. And so you might have to use like the Reeves test, which is the other test that people use to try and determine if something's a security. So I'm left sort of concluding that either like the, the motivations for going after Paxos, I think is a way to get their arms around some uh, surface area of Binance in the US because I think there's been a lot of FUD against Binance.com and I think they're trying to go after them in many different ways but it could also be and this is what I'm more afraid of it could be this sort of thing like you're saying paving the way for CBDCs which um, I will oppose with every last breath in my body uh, so I really do hope it's not that although the groundwork is being laid if you look at this Operation Choke Point 2.0 I just pasted in the uh, chat all the different activities uh, and there's a few more you can add here now, which is Kraken and then Binance USD stuff. I don't know. It does seem like a bit of a coordinated effort behind the scenes. And I don't like to be trying to assume what's going on behind the scenes. But we know that, you know, regulators and, and government tend to not really agree with a lot of the values of what crypto represents. So I don't know, man. It's like it's very, on the one hand, good news. On the other, does seem a little bit concerning. Yeah, I, I. <clears throat> I, I didn't go into that much detail in reading those articles, but I have read the comments by Hester Pierce and kind of taking down her entire <laughs> portion of government there and kind of taking them to task the way they went about this stuff. And uh, it, it was it's pretty remarkable. She's fairly outspoken against what they actually did. And, and I ha you, you have to agree with her. It's like, you know, the SEC keeps saying, well, you know, um, we're trying to come up with these ways of regulation that makes sense for everybody. So come in and talk to us and we'll kind of like review. And, you know, and there's been protocol after protocol that has said, hey, you know, we want to find out if this is within the lines, outside the lines. I realize it's kind of blurry you know, help us out. And they just they won't bother even to meet with them. And then all of a sudden they turn around and hammer somebody and it's like, she goes, this is not the way to regulate. You know, this is the, you don't, you don't sit there and say, we have an open door policy to talk about all the regulations, but you won't tell anybody what they are, you know? And I, I thought it was pretty bold for her to say that, um, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, I'm like, that's a breath of fresh air in government because, or even in corporate life, you know, when you stick your head up and criticize the, uh, the guy at the top and his actions usually don't last very long. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is the other thing too, is like, if you're familiar with this process, it's a really scary process that the SEC does. It's this Wells notice. So I'm sure a lot of us have heard of this. And basically what it is, is it's a notice that the SEC sends to your company saying, Hey, we're probably going to sue you. Uh, tell us why we shouldn't. <laughs> so it's their way of saying, Hey, you, you need to be prepared to defend yourself because we plan on, going after you. And there was a lot of FUD around Circle and them potentially getting a Wells notice, but that was confirmed to not be the case. Uh, so I don't know. Hester Pierce is, you know, doing a really good job, I think, in, in kind of giving some of us hope, but I know she's outnumbered over there. So I'm just not sure how much, you know, she can really have an influence. Well, is, is that, is that, re is that really uh, in line with our legal system, though? I mean, you know, when you go to court and and during discovery, you're supposed to have all the facts on both sides and then argue it out in front of a judge or whoever. You don't go, we're going to sue you. We're not going to tell you what it's about, but be prepared to defend yourself against any attack from any direction. And by the way, you have noon tomorrow to be prepared. You know, I mean, that's that's not really in the spirit of our legal system. And I, I think that's just a real bad precedent. And I'm surprised that that's actually the way it works. I mean, it's really... 
it's pretty adversarial in 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 a way that regulation sh shouldn't be. Yeah, you only have thirty days to respond. I just posted the Investopedia with some of the details on it. It's not really uh, it doesn't really build a lot of goodwill. I think their argument being that well, look, you're under our purview, and therefore you should have been in compliance all along. The thirty day period does seem pretty short, though, and and it, I agree with you. It doesn't really seem to align with the legal process in the United States. Yeah, I think they uh, they made a conscious decision to go after the smaller fish in Kraken instead of going for against the Coinbase uh, first. So it should be much harder to uh, defeat them uh, through the legal system. I think they just wanted a, a W. Um, initially, when I first mm -hmm. uh, started, I got Brian Armstrong's tweets about staking. My initial reaction was uh, terrible. Like, get your hands out of my pockets. Don't tell me what to do with, with money and things like that. But uh, after letting it settle for a while, um, looking into Kraken and, and, and their product, I could see, okay, this is not like a, we're getting rid of staking entirely. This is just in this one case. Uh, so I think overall they're getting the little W's and and we knew more regulations were going to come. They're going to come hard after just sleeping through FTX. Uh, but just the natural human reaction was, whoa, uh, back up. Um, regarding the, the custody, I, I, yeah, I definitely think that's one of the three prongs that I'm looking for. I'm looking for like a prime brokerage with big players, uh, you know, have all the tools that they have in TradFi to, to play in DeFi. Uh, but the one thing that like, uh, you're allowing like custodians, you want those rules, but then other government uh, enforcement agencies are handcuffing those same custodians. So it's kind of going in circle and not uh, not doing anything. But overall, I think even though the, the news are like dark, I think it is a positive step as in we, we need to go through this process to eventually land in the middle uh, with some of these regulations. That's a very good point. I think that some are saying that this recent price action and the markets are telling us that we're at the bottom of the FUD from the regulatory perspective. Um, I, I would love for that to be the case, but I just get the sense from Gensler that the way he talks about this industry, if you watched his first uh, you know, classroom with Gary or whatever it was on Twitter, it was the most infantilizing insulting way to speak to the crypto industry he was like talking about how staking teaching people what is staking and, and it's not exactly. s-t-a-k it's like it's so insulting and it's clear to me that his attitude has become hostile and so on the one hand while i agree with you yeah like this is some of the stuff is really good you're, you're totally right too it's like it's kind of like there's a fog of war we're not really sure um you know we do know that this sort of clarity does have to come before we can you know, reach new heights of adoption, but we also know that clarity in the wrong direction is just gonna stop adoption, period. And this is what was frustrating with Kraken is, you know, some would say, and we talked about this last week, actually, if you listen to the recording, like, oh yeah, it's great that, you know, in the one way we've decentralized the staking process further with Kraken not being able to offer a pooled product. Uh, but it, in my opinion, it just takes an option away from the market that, you know, some people now will not be able to have access to. And so when I think that's where I'm a little sad to see console against SEC. I'm sure they may try to fight them, but at the same time, it's oftentimes cheaper to settle. And technically, it doesn't set up precedent because it's not like real you know action they they sell out court but it definitely sends a message i think it's a chilling effect so you know cracking yeah. is a super program but always, i'm always cheering them on you know? yeah no definitely yeah. all of this this entire thing the thing that gets me the most are those videos he makes it's like wow um <laughs> we're supposed to be, be like uh, allowing this person he don't make those on this you have an agenda like that's what influencers do right um so yeah no so I, true i agree with your points uh and uh, the person in charge uh you know having having that agenda is no good um but yeah yeah I yeah i uh just thinking about this uh and you know his, his you know he's he's not like anybody in in the crypto industry and and you know we do have 
an election coming up in less, less than two years. And, you know, that, that'd be an easy, easy vote getter and an easy, you know, monetary contribution is go. Yeah, one of my first acts is to get rid of uh, Gary Gensler, SEC, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and everybody in the crypto industry would say, yeah, I mean, because, you know, I, I don't know how people in crypto skew left, right, center, libertarian, communist, I don't know. Uh, I would think fairly libertarian, but, but, you know, it would be be fairly easy to to win those folks over uh and I, I think crypto people and and i would i guess put myself in that category i mean i would almost become a single issue voter at that point yeah, that, yeah. that's where Although, my mind went for I got, bad, I got bad news you know, for you though he's got a five-year term i'm pretty sure he doesn't expire until 2026 yeah i i'm i'm sure there's 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 ways of of <laughs> Ending that term early, you know, um, and replacing him. I mean, it, he is a he is he does serve at the you know the behest of the executive branch of government. He's not a he's he's not he doesn't you know serve at the at the will of the legislature, but the executive branch. So I'm sure there's a way to get rid of an SEC chairman or or severely limit his ability to do damage. You know, but anyway. I, that's just an aside, uh, because I, I'm sure this will come up. I, I think in the coming uh, election cycle, I think crypto will be a much bigger issue because they see what's at stake, I think, at least the people in the industry. I think I could easily become a single issue voter with crypto, especially as it relates to CPTCs, because I'm so concerned about the draconian overreach of a programmable dollar that is controlled by the government. I, I I can't emphasize enough how much I think that would be the most massive reduction in personal freedom that we've ever come across um, in our digital age, perhaps even ever. So something really important to sort of watch closely and see where it goes, because Gensler has really turned out to be quite the aggressive litigator, despite his very, very prominent and obvious failures. I think you said it, Pablo, yourself. You said they were basically like sitting out the entire FTX situation. And in many cases, Gensler was having these meetings uh, <laughs> with FTX. I got to find the article on that. It's just like sickening, you know, to sort of see. So I, I feel as if his attitude towards the industry is that it's small enough that he can just kind of dismiss it. And it's also not a very serious industry. But then at the same time, he does realize that the power of digital assets has a massive implication for power in in someone's personal life and how much control they they have over their finances and so on the one hand you can't pretend like it's a joke of an industry but simultaneously aggressively try to stop it with broad overreaching enforcement actions because you're basically admitting that it is a very powerful technology that can be used uh for pretty awesome stuff Right. Well, you know, and, and you have to look at the, uh, at least, and this is the way I look at it, the generational change in attitudes towards retirement, investing, you know, there's a whole generation of younger people who are like, you know what, um, <laughs> I'm not, they, they don't under, they, they realize how, I don't want to say corrupt, but how unfair the equity markets can be. And that, you know, there, I, I'm sure there's, a sizable number of people who don't participate in their 401k plan. They don't, uh, you know, save money for their retirement. They can't count on social security and crypto is the way that they see uh, to, to, to make a substantial amount of money for their future. And, and that's, that's at stake right there. If you, if you just, you know, disable an entire industry and, and make it, you know, uh, you know, not not actionable anymore. So, I, yeah. I, you know, there's a lot lot of those issues around the whole thing. That's, uh, you know, in the CBDC issue aside, you know, it's just an industry that I think people rely on, uh, or at least have have potential uh, income that comes from it. And that's, uh, you know, it's kind of sad because you know the younger generations don't have much to look forward to financially in the future and you know tyler that's 
the, one of the first times I talked to you, that was kind of one <laughs> of my concerns is that my, yeah. my, my generation, the, the boomers said, you know, we got all the breaks, we got all the, the, the sweet deals and, uh, you know, and, and the generations coming behind me are not going to have that and they need something. And I just saw crypto as a way that that could possibly change the calculus for those people. I agree. Uh, that's why I think uh, none of this is going to uh, kill off the industry. I think these are just stumbling blocks because eventually it just becomes a generational game where we wait this out uh, because the yeah, younger kids grow up with digital currencies that they're not used to this. And then once they realize like uh, the accredited investor laws and realize this is why wealth inequality is what it is, um, you know, they do want those tools and they will be the ones electing the people in power. Uh, right now, the people we have in power uh, have been elected by people who are better served by the traditional finance, by things the way they are. Uh, regarding CBDCs, I 100% agree with you, Tyler. It scares me terribly. But, but as of now, I don't see a way where we don't get there uh, just because it allows the, the government so many more uh, buttons to push to, to work with like our overall debt. Um, stable coins, on the other hand, I don't think they can get rid of it. And I don't know if this is a little conspiracy of me, but uh, I do think uh, they want the big players, uh, JP Morgan's, Morgan Stanley's to get in the game. And Tyler, you would know this better than me, but things like the overnight repo, uh, like the max batch you can do right now is like, what, 50 million? So like a stable coin would just revolutionize that industry, that industry. And, you know, even Jamie, though Jamie Dimon hates it and says he hates it. It's like, if you have a tool that's better, that's faster, that's cheaper, you're going to use it. Um, mm. So I know I just hit yes. on a few points, but. Uh, really no, those are me. great points, man. I, I really love where you're coming from here, Pablo. Like your first point about the generational gap and just uh, wealth inequality and the, the power of technology to really bridge that gap and, and provide opportunities to other people. I totally agree with you. I do think it's like a, a lot of people who've been become successful, they're pulling a ladder up behind them and not supporting those that come behind them. I mean, every major stepwise improvement in humanity has come from technology. And why would you not bring the technological revolution to money? Why wouldn't you do that? Like it, it's, it can create so many new amazing things. Um, your second point, I think it was on the the CBDCs. I'm just pasting this in the in the voice chat. Um, it's just a quick article. I just quickly Googled to try and find uh, something to kind of back up what I'm saying here, which is that, you know, the CBDC has the potential to, to absolutely destroy commercial banks, which is they, they currently act as like a middleman between the Fed and retail users. And if you think about uh, if CBDC would create an account directly with the Fed that they have complete visibility into between you and the Fed. And so the idea here is like, you know, the government can, of course, subpoena banks, retail banks to get information from them. And, you know, ultimately, though, there is some sort of a legal process that does have to happen, where you were you to keep your private banking information directly with the government. That is absolutely unheard of. It, I, I can't imagine the potential for abuse that could happen and the ability for them to program taxes directly into your account to you know, incentivize certain types of spending behavior. These are all things that have been discussed publicly and openly in a, in a lot of different forums from Davos to the World Economic Forum, all these different places. People have spoken about the amazing potential that they believe CBDC technology can have. And like I said previously, I will oppose that with every fiber of my being because I do believe that that would represent, like crypto has the potential to be the greatest tool of freedom, but it also ironically has the seeds of its own destruction which is this ability to have a, a permanent immutable record on the blockchain that cannot be undone, um, that can absolutely have massive consequences if you're on the wrong side of, of that technology. And so it's freaky. <laughs> Definitely. And that, no, that is the paradox because um, uh, eventually crypto gives you these tools, but then at the same time, uh, it gives like a choke point for the people in power to be able to, to get that power back. Uh, so it is like a moving forward like the the irony of it all. Mm. Well said. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Um, yeah. You know, uh, if we want to maybe move on a little bit from this, um, it's a good a good conversation though, and it's kind of a wait and see what happened types type of approach. 
Although, although getting back to that, I think it was a bankless episode probably yeah, at least a year ago, maybe even more. Uh, it was talking about the digital yuan and how the Chinese system works, you know, and it's it's the guy that was on there was act, he was lived in China for like 20 years. He's like, it's great. You know, you don't have any you don't have any problems. And, this, and they they basically did away with banks. You know, they just gave these uh, these small, uh, you know, Robin Hood uh, PayPal type companies over there, basically a banking license. And yeah, I think uh, it was WeChat and Alipay, I think, are the two. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like that. Just money just flows like water, you know. But again, at what cost? <laughs> yeah, of course. That guy says that it, you know, works great for him. I actually also heard that that episode, and of course, the saying goes, "Oh yeah, you you have nothing to hide. So why should you be afraid of the government having this information, right? If you've got nothing to hide." Yeah. Why? And, why do? You, why do you need privacy if you don't have anything to hide? Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of an argument. I just, it, it rankles me in it. And any, any red-blooded American, or even just anybody who has an iota of personal sovereignty values, it just should make them feel chilled down their spine. I mean, that type of talk, if that were to ever come to the United States, which of course it is, uh, you know, we're in for a massive, you know, it's just a massively bad situation, and and well, China is. But you know we've are we're already, I would say over fifty percent of the way there because you know the, the I, I I hate using the term the younger generation because that pretty much enca en encapsulates everybody to me, um, the very youngest <laughs> the ones <laughs> the ones the the cell phone generation you know they're. They have absolutely no idea about data privacy and what what is on the internet stays on the internet and it's a permanent record and you have no privacy and well who cares if they can see what's on my phone because you know blah 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 you know it's just a short step about you know from that to giving up your your financial uh privacy as well so i i don't think we're that far away from that at least uh, in the coming decades that p young people are already being conditioned to give up their, their, their personal data uh, willingly because they get something for it. This cool app, you know? So true. Hey, Ray, looks like Ray has joined us to, to give us some hope. Ray, 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 we welcome you. My brother, good to, please good to give be us with some you guys. <laughs> I, I was just going to drop a funny on you guys and be like, you know, what's funny with the, um, the the whole if you don't have anything to uh, to hide, then you shouldn't be worried about it. And everyone who tells me that still won't give me their social security number, and I don't understand why they're not practicing what they preach. And I don't think that's very nice. You're right. You're right, Ray. That is not very nice. And I think people should prioritize niceness and um, you know being compliant uh, with that should be a, a virtue that we encourage on people. If I appreciate you. <laughs> You say that. Going to drop a funny. Thanks for dropping a funny on this. <laughs> no, that's just the universality of the concepts. Like, can you universalize that and apply that to others? Like, well, if you got nothing to to hide, then you know you should be able to let everything you know out in public. But OnlyFans still cost money, so I don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't seem like an axiomatic, like philosophical argument. Just appeal to authority, which is hey. That's yeah. Fine, so. so but... So Ray, we've been talking about CBDCs, and uh, right before you joined, and and we kind of got here from the whole SEC actions and just some of the, sort of the regulatory fud lately. Um, would you, you want to share with us just your brief take on CBDCs? I kind of know where you're going to end up, but we've talked about like a lot of the the sort of overreach that it would enable. But what are your general thoughts on CBDCs and where we're headed? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to share it. Um, I'm really happy they came out with CBD. Um, you know, it lets, it, it's really an enjoyable thing. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm just confused. I didn't know this was being recorded. So I wanted, I wanted to yeah, yeah. There's the a C at the end of that one, right? Yes, yes. Not CBD. Oh, that's, that's, what, that's what I got in my finance classes in C's. So that explains a lot about my retort there. <laughs> no, CBDCs are wild. Um, from my perspective, they don't do anything too radically different than your traditional central bank. But from my understanding and from some of the reports I've seen in comments, the main thing it will let it, the, the Fed and central banks do is just airdrop money to people's accounts. So it's kind of the rational, logical end of the entire push for modern monetary theory as I see it. So it's the kind of thing where if you can pay crypto, unfettered access to finance, that's something that's fundamentally dangerous. Kind of threading back to the 
if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to worry about kind of argument. This is this is the greatest tool um, for for those who have crafted the uh, Lovecraftian financial system and all of its Gordian not um, underbelly, because uh, it just allows them to keep trucking it along for another five, ten years. Other you know, banks and major global corporations suck up a bunch of assets, you know, real estate, gold, Bitcoin, these hard assets. So that's an unfortunate continuation and hopefully the last act of the Ponzi. But I don't know, my my crystal ball is murky. So mm. well said. I love how you got a Gordian knot reference in there. That's awesome. I had garlic knots a week ago, so it stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think you're you're right. The the hard assets are the things that a lot of these institutions are gobbling up, and when you can get fiat quite easily, especially with the helicopter money directly into your CBDC account, I, I suppose you're right. That is a, a pretty interesting Cantillian effect that allows people to be closer to the money spigot. Um, so yeah, I don't know, John. What uh, what else did we have on the agenda today to talk about? This, this regulatory talk is depressing. <laughs> Looks like you're muted. There we go. I'm talk, sitting here talk, talking to myself. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, what what was I going to say? Yeah, just the general directionality of the market, and seems to be up. Uh, at, at least since the first of the year, and you know, minus all the fud and 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 what else is out there, uh, uh, you know, and I'm uh, obviously spend a little more time in the the DeFi DGen space, and you know, people are starting to ape into stuff again. So as far as I can see, it's uh, we're uh, we're 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 back, baby, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of excitement about projects and, and uh, unrealistic expectations and high APYs. And uh, to me, that means we're back. <laughs> you might be right. Um, although I, I will say from my professional experience working in this industry and talking to a lot of startups and uh, fintech founders. So a lot of you guys know I work at Cross River Bank, which is a digital infrastructure provider to a lot of the leading crypto companies. Uh, you know, there's still just a general slowdown in in activity, I think, because uh, a lot of people are really, you know, dicey about where the regulators are. And, you know, without sharing anything material and non-public, I mean, you know, it's not a real shock to anybody to hear that banks have slowed down banking the industry. And uh, that part will be a bottleneck on further adoption. If you cannot get banked, you cannot do hardly anything as a crypto startup. And so I would say the incumbents are sitting pretty if they have really good banking relationships. Uh, but if you don't, like you are pretty much hosed if you're wanting to get fiat into and out of your uh, crypto project. And this is another reason why like USDT has gone up, Tether has adoption has skyrocketed recently uh, because of all this FUD around USDC and Binance USD. Um, but also I think because of some of the crackdown of banks on the fiat on and off ramp. And this is something that we kind of go back to all the time when we talk about mass adoption is that credible, safe fiat on and off ramps are crucial to bringing crypto to the masses. And if you can't get a bank account, that's step one in providing that fiat on ramp. And you know, we already live in a digital cash society, even though like, you know, we don't have CBDCs, most of us have the majority of our funds in a zeros and ones on our Chase or Wells Fargo accounts, not necessarily sitting in cash in your pocket. And so those, that's why we talked about Operation Choke Point. This is a, it's a, something very relevant to be aware of that can be, like it says, a choke point on the industry. Definitely. If you were like starting off a, a new crypto venture, you would have no reasons to start it in the U.S. Um, you can still serve some U.S. customers, but the with the regulatory unknowns here, um, wouldn't be, be a smart decision to start here. Yeah, I just feel yeah. like the U.S. is falling so far behind. Yeah, and and that's another thing that you know we we are we tend to be U.S. centric for a reason, and obviously that's where the users are. <laughs> uh, but not all of them, you know. Um, I don't know if anybody saw the little news. Uh, little news item a couple days ago that Hong Kong is now going to make it legal to, to buy and sell cryptocurrencies through their system now, which uh, which opens up the East again. 
and uh, you know, there's a big world out there, and it all doesn't have to revolve around the U.S. regulatory regime. Uh, obviously, other countries fall in line with that for simple reason. It's based on the dollar, but um, but you know, maybe there's just hope that you know they're they'll come to their senses. But I I, I, I doubt it. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, when I was re referring to the the DeFi projects that you know they're they're uh, they're they're all aping into stuff. I, you know, I'm obviously talking about a small segment of the the crypto market, but it's uh, it's interesting being in some of these uh, Discord uh, groups and uh, on Twitter and seeing people get excited again because it's been a while since I've seen yeah. that. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm afraid of right now. That the, this uh, crypto market right now is being driven uh, by mostly. Uh, Degens, and then you have a lot of money in APAC region. That's uh, their regulatory is a lot more open, so they're 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 getting in there. Uh, but overall, I think uh, here in the U.S., uh, traditional markets are offering you a better risk-free rate on your investment uh, instead of DeFi. So I don't think our big institutions are going to come uh, come back in uh, until that return changes. Uh, yeah. I think we should emphasize, I want to underline that point. Uh, risk for free returns are safer in traditional finance than DeFi right now. And that is, is something crazy to think about. Like, uh, first of all, That's how nuts. would you define risk free? But like, yes, it's totally nuts, Pablo. Yeah. Because back in the day, you know, your yield on fixed income was, was pathetically low compared to with historically low interest rates compared to like your 17% APY on Celsius, right? And, and obviously mm -hmm. we know that the price you were paying for that was the fact that you could lose the entirety of your investment because you were dealing with a, a platform that was rehypothecating your assets and engaging in really risky trades. Well, this is a really important point. Like you said, the institutions aren't going to be coming to that crypto yield anytime soon if they can get, especially if they can just outperform it with just by holding bonds and, and fixing income. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I... I... I have to echo that sentiment because I was I was on my uh, Coinbase app and I and I was like looking and of course it's got a bunch of you know advertisements on there their staking assets or whatever but you know they're giving four percent on USDC you know and I'm like wow okay <laughs> that's not a lot but you know four percent's a yeah. lot more than 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 uh, your savings account has been. Uh, Traditionally, for the past five or six years of, you know, sub, you know, fractional percentages, you know, so uh, that is true. You know, that's that's a good point, Pablo. And I, I have to I have to make sure I keep that in my brain when I, I start thinking about some of these things, because, yeah, that that risk free rate has gone up and that makes a difference. That point was emphasized to me when one of my best friends who's more degen than I am told me unironically that he had just bought bonds from treasury.gov i think it is and i was like you you bought some <laughs> t-bills what and and then i it hit me i was like well yeah of course why wouldn't you i mean it's it's backed by the full faith and credit or whatever they say the the ability of the government to never go bankrupt and just catch the heck out of everybody like yeah i'll, I'll bet on that and it's the military of the u.s government rather than celsius or BlockFi. Yeah, but overall, like I said, I think this is like a step we need this low because uh, eventually everything gets right and the institutional players have all the tools they need to to move over. And uh, I think that's when we go mainstream. Uh, when you have the Man, Pablo, I'm just going to start calling you when I get depressed because you got the encouragement today. I love it. No, I started <laughs> off with the FUD. Like I said, I started with the FUD. <laughs> overall, like, you know, big picture type of thing. And uh, uh, 10 years down the, the line, like, you know, we'll, we'll be ready and we'll be there. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. I think the US is going to be If y'all were familiar with the dollar milkshake theory, um, the just long short of that is essentially more straws come into the US system and suck out any of the potential inflation um, via globalizing essentially utilization of the US dollar. Now, naturally, if we look at the price of eggs, that didn't happen uh, you know, homogeneously across the market. Um, but one thing that I keep coming back to is that uh, if for an entity that's like, hey, we want to protect consumers, no BUSD. And now Tether is having a huge uptick. Well, Tether is not exactly backed by the full faith and credit of the government. Um, but it is strange that the comptroller of the currency for the U.S. came out and says that you could use Tether specifically for wire transfers legally in the U.S. jurisdiction. 
and there's been no enforcement action against Tether. Uh, if I were a giant sovereign entity like the United States, I'd be super happy that the rest of the world's financial systems look a little more shaky, while the technological on-ramps allowing them to take their fiat assets in yuan, yen, uh, pounds, euros, what have you, uh, there's on-ramps for them to convert that to crypto, and then do what? Do all kinds of cool crypto things. And ultimately, when you want to get out of that system, it might be best to go to the dollar. Um, so Pablo, to your point about the 10-year time horizon, I think that the U.S. jurisdiction is playing more of the long game to create a more formalized you know, ecosystem for trusted entities to come in and do things as the rest of the world perhaps takes the more informal route. And then as people, you know, what mass adoption kicks off, people are going to want that some level of assurance, a la Celsius, and, um, you know, what happened with Doquan and all that. So I think, you know, encouragingly, this is really, really good for the long term, especially for the United States. Thanks for that perspective, Ray. That's a really good way to think about it. If you can paste something on the dollar milkshake theory when you get a chance, I'd like to read more about that. I'm not sure what the preferred source would be to learn more about that, but if you wouldn't mind, that'd be awesome. Um, so, John, I think we've we've done a really good job of covering a lot of the topics. We're at that 10-minute mark. Were there others that we wanted to talk about, or should we open it up to just anything else? We can open it up. That's that's about, uh, you know, it's all about the market and, and regulation this week. So, uh, you know, I'm, 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 all, uh, I'm all out of good ideas. So anybody else got one, go for it. Oh, I'm just dropped a dollar milkshake theory in the voice channel as well, um, which I guess could be in the call uh, podcast notes as well, which could be cool. Yep. So nice. Um, yeah, I'm super bullish on DAOs. Um, I'm, I'm just as an aside, as well as I'm helping to build Eco, the Eco Credit Network, um, I'm helping a uh, entity called Gamut, uh, which TradFi and DeFi recently worked with, and it's called Mutual Collaboration, really, which is super cool. Um, and they're doing all kinds of cool things with DAOs. So I'm learning more and more about decentralized autonomous organizations, and just wondering if any of y'all have a any relation to to DAOs, and how are these? You know, these organizations faring. I mean, John, you mentioned the markets kind of have some upswing. Um, how are these kind of communities doing? Do they have a life raft? Are they, you know, dying off in droves? Uh, well, I'm only uh, <laughs> familiar with one I brought up last week uh, and with uh, Umami. And uh, they, uh, they uh, the whole team resigned because the CEO wanted to take take all of the uh, treasury out of the DAO and uh, basically take it off chain. And then the whole team resigned and reformulated the DAO without the CEO. And, and they're, they're taking over from there. But uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics on DAO that I think some people don't uh, realize is eventually going to happen if there aren't structures in there to either prevent it or give some guardrails it, it can be a little a little tricky uh and uh you know i think what was the other one uh that was in the news for dows and i and i i'm sorry if it's not positive news but uh was it uh uniswap uh and one of the big yeah, uh, uniswap big, had a governance boat uh, yeah and, you know, and that's, you know, all of those governance tokens are owned by VCs <laughs> and funds, you know, and it's like they just do whatever they want with that that protocol, that actual, you know, users or members of the DAO on, on, on the small scale. It's just, you know, they're they really are irrelevant. You know, it, it it's it is literally no different than uh, having a voting right in a major equity in, in, in the traditional market. It's like. You can go ahead and vote if you want to, or you can give your proxy vote to somebody else. But your 500 shares of Apple are, uh, uh, you know, are nothing and aren't going to sway the vote. And I guess I, in the whole idea of voting in democracy, it's uh, when when these big guys have all the votes in their pockets. It's it's you know what good is the, the governance uh, if they decide to take it one way versus the other? But you know. Uh, there's still something that is of value there because if you're invested in a DAO uh, financially or your time and it starts going a certain direction and there's a vote coming up and the vote's not going your way and you go, you know what, it's time for me to leave because it's going in a different direction and you can get off the bus at that time. Uh, hopefully you haven't put in too much time or money into it, but um I don't know if that answers your your question, uh, Ray, but you know it's it's still such a new form of 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 
organization and, and, and coordination that um, I think all these things will slowly be worked out. Uh, but it's, it's kind of tough. It, and it all depends on uh, how it's constituted and who has the power, you know, as with any human relationship, right? Yeah. Um, regarding DAOs, I, I do think they're the future. Uh, I think Wyoming class classifies them as an LLC. Uh, so I, I do think that's where we're headed. And the, one of the biggest uh, obstacles in that area is the governance uh, with the voting, because you do have the VC with all those coins. But if you had a, the, on the other side, everybody else uh, organized, and that's the thing that uh, getting a bunch of humans to organize is the hardest obstacle in, in many entities. Uh, they, they could have voted their way. Um, so like it gives a, a platform to, all right, if everyone organizes, we get our way. Uh, but like I said, like that's another wait and see type of area. But uh, I do think eventually though, uh, we'll have like a better, better path to organizing governance in DAOs. Um, but yeah, as of now, though, the way VCs have invested and have the coins, even though they delegate uh, some of their coins, I think that delegating the votes is, is kind of just like a, to make it look uh, pretty for, hey, look, it's not us. We're not the bad guys who really give these votes to college institutions, uh, allow them to vote uh, because they know on the other side, unless they, the other side all congregates together for, for their side, they'll still end up winning. And um, yeah, as far as Uniswap, uh, they end up winning no matter what with this Uniswap vote.